Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So I got up Monday morning and uh, picked up my San Francisco Chronicle. Yes, I do read the newspaper. It's kind of old-fashioned, I know, but I like something to be able to hold in my hands that's bigger than the tablet. I, I do my online reading also online, but um, you can't do the crossword on the online version. I found that out. So I still stick with the paper. But Monday morning, I got up, and here on the front page, the bottom half, um, I was intrigued by this headline. The headline says, Does More Money Mean More Jerks? And it was a really interesting article because there's a psychologist. His name is Paul Piff. And um, for the last 10 years, he's been at UC Berkeley. He just moved down to UC Irvine. Um, but he, uh, they study um, how wealth affects people. And over the last 10 years, over 50 different studies, they have found um, that, that as people get richer, they become bigger jerks. This is some of the findings. He said, again and again, he's found the common thread. Rich people are more likely to behave unethically, even if they get very little benefit. They are more likely to take candy from a jar labeled just for kids. They cheat at games, cut off pedestrians in crosswalks. They're also more likely to say they do the same thing when told about somebody who accepts bribes, lies to customers, cheats on an exam, or pockets the money when the clerk gives them too much change. Interesting study. He's been doing this for 10 years. One of the studies that they did, they actually had people, pedestrians, stop at crosswalks and just wait and see if, if people driving by would, would stop for them so they could walk through the crosswalk. And they, they specifically had the pedestrians there, and they watched this, and they monitored it, and they had to make sure you make on t- eye contact with the driver so he actually sees you and you know that he saw you. What they found was that only half of those who drove expensive cars actually stopped for the people to get in the crosswalk. What they found was almost 100% of those who drove beaters stopped and let people through. They said, actually, they found out BMW drivers were the worst. Followed closely by Mercedes-Benz owners, okay? That there, and I thought that was really, really interesting, and it goes exactly to what we're going to be talking about, because if you would turn to the book of 1 Timothy... Um, chapter 6. This is Paul's letter. Paul the apostle wrote a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He was pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he gave them, he was kind of, Paul was a mentor to this young pastor. And he gave him a lot of instruction. And he came to the end of his first letter. It's in chapter 6 in your Bible. Verse 17, and he said these words. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now who says the Bible is not applicable to today? Okay. (laughs) Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul addressed something centuries ago that we find is still true today. That there needs to be instructions on how to be rich. Now, that's, we, started, we were starting this series beginning this week. And it's do good, 
live more, be rich. And we're going to start, and we're just taking it from these three verses. I'm going to take one verse at a time because they are so packed with information and understanding. So today we're starting with the idea of being rich. This is not about get rich. Okay, that's a seminar that will be in the Sheraton down in Concord next weekend. You know, This is about how to be rich. And, and I'm deeply indebted. There's a, a pastor named Andy Stanley. He pastors a church in uh, the Atlanta, Georgia area. Actually, a large number of churches. And um, for the last seven years, he has taught in his church every year these concepts. And actually, just this last year, put it all together in a book that I highly, highly, highly recommend to everyone here. The title of the book is How to Be Rich. Um, and I'm deeply indebted to his research and a lot of his insights into all of this. But that's what we're going to start with today is how to be rich. And I want to start with three questions. So take out your outlines. Take out a pen. I'm going to have you answer, put your answers to these three questions. They're personal questions. Um, and you can, or if you don't want to, let the person next to you. So you can kind of hide your paper, okay? But here's what I'd like you to do. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being lower class, 10 being upper class, Five being middle class, you know, somewhere on that scale between one and ten, where would you place yourself? Go ahead, write it, fill it up. One being lower class, ten being an upper class, where would you put yourself? Second question, same thing on a scale of one to ten, but slightly different. One being extremely poor, ten being extremely rich, where would you put yourself on that scale? Scale of 1 to 10, however you see yourself. All right, and then the last question is this one. Thinking about your current situation, how much money per year would you need to make in order to consider yourself rich? Whatever that amount is, okay? Considering what you make now currently, how much would you need to make to be able to say, okay, now I'm rich? All right? Answer it. Some of you are not doing this. Okay, I'm just telling you. Because this goes to the very first point of what we're going to talk about. Because when it comes to being rich, the very first thing is we need to recognize how rich we really are. That's the very first step. He starts out, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, we got to stop right there because we got to find out who's he talking about. When he says, command those who are rich, who are the rich in this world. And the reason we need to stop and and consider that is because most of us in this room think that's somebody else. This isn't about me. This is about those rich people. Those rich people who don't stop for pedestrians in the crosswalk. Those rich people who drive Beamers and, and Benzes and all those. But I want you to stop and think for a moment how rich you really are. Gallup poll was done just a number of, just about two or three years ago. And they asked those questions that I just asked you about. And they asked people, say, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, where do you see yourself? The overwhelming majority, in fact, 73% of the population in the United States, 73% consider themselves either working class or middle class. 73%. The vast, about three quarters of our population say, I'm not rich, I'm not poor, but I'm not rich, I'm middle class. And when asked that question, how much do you think you need to take in each year to consider yourself rich? The median answer, the response, median means there was just as many below this number as there were above this number, okay? The median response was 
$150,000 a year. Now, what's really interesting is when you get into the, the, how they asked the question and how they broke it down, what they found was that as they asked this question, it really depended on how much that person made. So, for instance, people who made $50,000 a year, they said, $100,000, then I would be rich. What's interesting is the people who make $100,000 a year, their answer was $200,000. And as they broke it all down, what they found was consistently was basically, on the general rule, people, whatever it was that they made now, do not consider themselves rich. But if they made twice what they make now, then they would consider themselves rich. See, the thing is, we don't feel rich. If I ask you to raise your hands, how many in those 1 to 10 scales put yourself either in a 4, 5, 6, or 7 range? Yeah. See? We don't think we're rich. We're just middle class. We're in the middle. Let me give you a few things, some other statistics. Because the honest truth is you were rich. I am rich. The median household income in the San Francisco Bay Area, not counting San Jose, Silicon Valley, the median income in San Francisco Bay Area is just about $75,000 a year. Seventy-four nine twenty-two. They are consistently, San Francisco Bay Area has consistently been in the top five of the largest metro areas in the United States. Now, anybody want to guess what San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, Silicon Valley? Median income was $90,737. We live in the richest area of the richest country in the world, and we don't consider ourselves rich. And break it down even closer. Benicia Vallejo Fairfield Concord Martinez. Median household incomes range from $61,000 to $79,000 a year. That's us. Okay, maybe not you specifically, but that's us. Now, I want you to get some perspective on that because do you know what the nationwide household income is? Median household income is $51,000. So compared to the rest of the United States, we're rich. Worldwide, the worldwide median household income is just a little over $10,000 a year. Anybody feeling rich yet? See, I know. Now, well, yeah, but you don't, know my, you don't know my situation. You don't know my living expenses. <laughs> It's more costly to live in the Bay Area. So, yeah, no, it's just all relative. Well, wait, 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 wait. So, we did this a couple of years ago. And this is a good reminder. So, let's just kind of go through a little survey here this morning on how rich we are. How many here have a, a jar or, or a desk caddy or somewhere in your home where you just throw your spare change? Yeah, Okay. Most of the world has no idea what spare change is, by the way. How many have a place in your car? It's, it's your ashtray, or maybe you might have a car that has a special container for that. But you have a place in your car where you throw your spare change. Yeah. How many here have a car? How many have more than one car? How many have a special room 
in your house just for your car. And I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one, but here's a good question for you. How many have too much stuff in that special room so your car has to stay outside of its own room? Yeah. And again, no hands, please. But I'm just going to ask how many have an extra space separate from where you live, where you store more stuff because it won't fit in the room for your car? Are you feeling rich yet? Here's one more. If you made a purchase in the last year in which you replaced something, was actually per- perfectly fine, was going perfectly well, did not really need to be replaced, you only replaced it because you needed the upgrade. That's a rich person's problem. If you complain, When your internet goes down, that's a rich person's problem. You see, that's the truth of the matter. You and I are rich. We live in the richest area of the richest country in this world, yet none of us thinks we're rich. We had years and years ago, we, um, before we moved up to, to this property and we were renting warehouse space and we didn't really have a, a baptistry of any sorts and so we kind of did baptisms in people's backyards and sometimes, we, oftentimes actually we used our own backyard because we had a pool, we have a pool in our yard and so we would have baptisms at our house and, and sometimes we would have like 100 people in our backyard for a baptism and, and I remember one time um, one of the younger brothers of, of one of the kids that was getting baptized that Sunday evening came, and he came into our house, came into our backyard, saw our pool and says, are you guys rich? And I said, no, we're not rich. I'm rich. You're rich. We don't consider ourselves rich. But truly, truly, we are rich. And the very first step is recognizing how rich we truly are. Not as it means, to, I don't have to go through this to make you feel guilty. I just want you to understand how rich you are and to be grateful to be grateful. And with that comes some responsibility. By the way, keep in mind, whatever you have, it's just temporary. Paul wrote to Timothy, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, anything that you have beyond basic necessities of food and clothing, that's richness. So understand and realize how truly rich you are, and then understand how your wealth affects you, because it does. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. What he's saying is money does things to you. Having richness changes you. And he points out two specific side effects. One is that we can become arrogant that we have this tendency to, rec- um, to equate net worth with self-worth. Years ago, back in the 80s, there was a brokerage firm called E.F. Hutton. Some of you may remember E.F. Hutton. They had a series of commercials, very successful commercial campaign. Um, and it was usually two guys, you know, either you know, jogging or, or, or riding in the bus or on the subway or something. They'd be talking about their investment portfolio and all this stuff. And, and one of them would say to the other, well, my brokerage firm is E.F. Hutton. And when and E.F. Hutton says, and then everything would freeze. Everybody around them, everybody would stop and go like this. 
And the tagline was, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Because after all, they're, they, they got money, 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 money. They're rich. They know how to manage them. They must be smart people. E.F. Hutton no longer exists. That's how smart they are. See, we tend to equate riches with, 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 with the person. And we equate net worth with self-worth. And that ain't necessarily so. Told you at the beginning about this uh, psychologist, Paul Piff. He actually, I went online, did some research on, there was a series of TED Talks. I don't know if you ever watched any of these TED Talks, but um, he did one, a TED Talk, on this very subject. And uh, he told about another one of their experiments. One of the things that they did was they had college students play a game of Monopoly. And as they played the money, when they started the game, here's what they did. They picked one of the players at random and just decided, okay, you get more money to start with. And you get to roll two dice. Everybody else just rolls one. And every time you pass go, you get twice as much as everybody else. And then they watched what happened as they played the game. Watch some of this. And what I want to do today for the first time is show you a little bit of what we saw. You're going to have to pardon the sound quality in some cases because, again, these were hidden cameras. So we've provided subtitles. How many 500s did you have? Just one. Are you serious? Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I don't know why they gave me so much. Okay, so it was quickly apparent to players that something was up. One person clearly has a lot more money than the other person. And yet, as the game unfolded, we saw very notable differences and dramatic differences begin to emerge between the two players. The rich player started to move around the board louder, literally smacking the board with their piece as he went around. We were more likely to see signs of dominance and nonverbal signs of display, uh, displays of power and celebration among the rich players. One of the really interesting and dramatic patterns that we observed begin to emerge was that the rich players actually started to become ruder toward the other person less and less sensitive to the plight of those poor, poor players, and more and more demonstrative of their material success, more likely to showcase how well they're doing. So as it turns out, even play money can make you a jerk. <laughs> it does something to you. It, it, it really does begin to affect you. Five years ago, I had a Camaro. It was my dream car. I bought and drove a Camaro. And then the engine died on it. And I had no trade-in value, so I ended up leasing a Jetta. I did not feel nearly as cool driving my Jetta as I did driving my Camaro. It affects you. And it's not just arrogance. There's a greater danger. There's a greater danger is that our money tends to cause our hope to drift. We just finished a series in the month of January talking about hope. Why, what is it and why we need it and how to grow it in our lives. And one of the things, one of the key learnings from that whole series was the most important thing about hope is where you place it. The most important thing about hope is where you place it. And the thing that Paul says is, listen, 
Tell them not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. See, with with our money, we tend to see our money and our riches as a place of security and safety. Let me give you an example of that. When do you feel more secure? On the first of the month or on the 30th of the month? The first. Because you just got paid. On the 30th, you're like saying, oh, I hope payday comes before that check clears. <laughs> because that's where we're, that, that, it's the natural tendency for our hope to drift. Paul wrote to Timothy, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. You got to be aware of this. You got to understand what money does to you. And that is nothing new. That is nothing new. That has been the case in human nature since the beginning of time. All the way back in the Old Testament, when God brought the nation of Israel out of their bondage and slavery in Egypt, brought them into the land of promise. And just as they were going in, he gave them some instructions through Moses, uh, through, uh, through Joshua. And all of these words came to him. And, and, they, and he said, listen, I want you to understand. Now, you're going to go into this land, but I want you to understand. I am the one who is going before you. I am the one who is driving out your enemies. I am the one who's provided this land for you. And you need to understand that up front. He says, because, because, Deuteronomy 8, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He says, you got to be careful. Because as you acquire wealth, you're going to start thinking, it's all about you. You're going to start thinking that this makes you a, a, a more important person. And that sense of arrogance and that hope drift starts to happen. And he, and he says, he says, tell people not to put their hope there because that is so uncertain. And if the last seven years of recession in our country has not made that abundantly clear, I don't know what it's going to take to, to convince us. He says, that's not where to put your hope. So the third thing he says is, we need to take, ste- take steps that will prevent our hope from drifting. He says, command them instead to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He says, tell them not to put their hope over here. Put it here in the God who richly provides. That's our only real source of hope. Now, I know people, I know wealthy people who have learned that secret, who know that truth, that they are wealthy, but their possessions do not possess them. And, and, and that some of them are wealthy, wealthy people, and some of them are middle-class wealthy like me, and some of them are not so wealthy, but they are because they understand this principle. And it's not something that they, they learned once they became wealthy. It's something they learned up front that our possessions are not to possess me, that my hope and my trust is to rely in the character of God. See, that's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, tell him to understand some things about God, that he richly provides us everything for our enjoyment, 
that our God is not a stingy God. He is a generous God. It's one of, the, one of the key values, core values for us as a church that we believe that we serve a generous God and he wants us to live generous lives. But we need to learn how to do that because that is not our natural bent. Our natural bent is the more that we acquire, the more arrogant we become. The, our natural bent is the more that we acquire, the more we put our hope and our trust in that. Let me give you a few more statistics about where we live. I told you at the beginning, um, San Francisco Bay Area is in the top five in terms of income, median income, consistently in the top five when it comes to median income in the 50 largest metro areas in the United States. They also did, this was back in the Chronicle article back on October 7th, they actually did a, an analysis of charitable giving. And what they found is San Francisco Bay Area in the top five on income you know where they ranked when it came to charitable giving? Where we ranked when it came to charitable giving? 45 out of 50. Want to know where San Jose ranked? 48th out of 50. Two of the richest areas of our country are the least charitable. We tend to think that when I get more, then I'll give more. And statistically, just the opposite happens. A few more statistics for you. Nationwide, people who make $25,000 a year or less give 7.7% of their income to charity. When their income goes from $25,000 to $50,000, people in that bracket it drops from 7.7% to 4.6%. And people who make 50,000 to 75,000, it drops to 3.5%. And when you get to 100,000 and up, the giving rate goes down to 2.6% of their income. But that's our natural tendency. So here's my challenge to you. It's tax time. Okay? In the next couple of months, you're going to make that appointment. You're going to sit down. You're going to total up. You're going to bring in your W-2s, your 1099s, all that stuff that you've made this last year. And then you're going to get together all of your charitable contributions. And I just want to challenge you to see where that percentage lies. And has the giving increased as the income increased? See, we need a plan and a strategy by which we keep our hope from drifting and relying too much on our wealth. And God instituted that all the way back with the nation of Israel. He established something for them and for all of God's people called the tithe. The tithe literally means a tenth or a tenth part, which means that 10% of my income, 10% of whatever comes my way, I don't hold on to, that I give back to the work of God. And he's very specific about it. He says, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. Doing this will teach you to always fear or fear their meaning honor. Will teach you to always fear or honor the Lord your God. So what he's saying there is we need to be taught. We need to be taught not to put our hope in our wealth. We need to be taught. And the way that we are taught in this is by specifically, consistently setting aside a percentage of our income that goes away from us. 
And the teaching for God's people is it goes to the work of God. And, and, and by the way, this, this was in an, an, an agrarian society, and they practiced with something that is called first fruits, which meant it was the first part of your harvest. You didn't do it at the end to see what your harvest was going to be like at the end and then decide. You did it up front in anticipation because it's an act of faith, it's an act of gratitude, and it's a transfer of our hope. And so I want you to think about that. I want you, as you do your taxes in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, just to sit down and think about how rich I really am. Look at that statement and see what you brought in this year. My guess is it is way above the national average and way, way above the world average. And then to look and see what are you doing with what you've been given. You see, it all comes from God. And he wants to teach us to keep our hope in him. And, and, and sometimes when I talk about tithing, people say, well, that's Old Testament. That's the law, and that doesn't apply to us today. No, what you're doing is you miss the point, because it's not about legalism. It's a teaching thing. It's not a legal thing. It's a teaching thing. That's what he said. This is to teach you to transfer your hope. And what it's really about more than anything else is your heart. And Jesus affirmed that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And once you understand God's intent in all of this, then it begins to make sense. So two years ago, we did something around here. Uh, we called it Try the Tithe. And in the last two years, a number of new people have come. Maybe you're new to Northgate. Maybe you've come in the last two years and you don't know what this is all about. Okay, we encourage people. We challenge people. We just said to people, try the tithe. And we're going to do that again this year. Because we need constant reminders and we need constant teaching and training in all of this. And it's, but believe me, it's something for me too. Because here's what happens to me. We've been tithing since we've been married. And tithing is comfortable. It just, it's, it's just, it's a no-brainer for us now. So now what we've got to do is we've got to start thinking about, okay, as our giving increases, as our income increases, has our giving increased? Because the 10% deal, that's kind of like the entry level. That's the first step. It's where do you go from there? And so I'm going to challenge all of us to prayerfully think about how rich we really are. And to honestly take an evaluation and say, what, are, what is my wealth doing to me? And what steps do I need to take to change that? So in three weeks, I mean, this is a three-week series, Next, we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of giving. But, but right now, just I want you to start thinking about and praying about. And just saying, because in three weeks, we're going to ask you to make a decision to really try the tithe. Now, you can decide whether or not you're going to do it. That's going to be up to you. We're not going to sit down with you, everyone and say, okay, now what's your income? Okay, remember. Okay, we're not going to do that. But we are going to encourage you to give it a try and just see what it does to your heart. See what God does in your life because of it and discover what Paul talks about later in verse 19 about taking hold of the life that truly is life, the true rich life. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. You made a way for the world.